Hey friends, this is Fun Therapy, and my name is Mike Foster, and together we're going to dive into the messy and the brutal and the not-so-perfectness of our stories. We'll find hope and a beautiful humanity within it all. This is a chance to investigate our thoughts and our beliefs with compassionate curiosity. Because when we believe our thoughts instead of what is really true for us, we create all kinds of unnecessary suffering. You see, we are either believing our thoughts or questioning them. And when we can courageously inquire about the thoughts we have thought about ourselves, when we ask, I wonder if that's really true, or is it just something that I have made true? When we are open to the beautiful exploration of our soul, we can step into the adventure of life. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. Julie Wilson is on the Fun Therapy podcast today. Julie was married to Jared Wilson, who died by suicide this past September. Jared had been a pastor at a megachurch, an advocate for talking about mental health, and he himself struggled with depression, which eventually would take his life. In this episode, I talk with Julie about what life looks like today and how she deals with the grief and the questions and what she would want Jared to know. This is a conversation about suicide and grief, and I just want to make sure that you're aware of what we are going to be talking about because some of it, some of you may find it triggering, so please use discretion. I want to take a quick moment and invite you to my upcoming workshop in June. It's called Strongest. It's here in Carlsbad. In, uh, in fact, uh, Julie was actually at our last workshop. It was so great having her there. The Strongest Workshop is just a time to dig into your own work, your story, your patterns that keep you from experiencing the life that you want. Maybe it's a relationship thing that you need to work on. Maybe it's a forgiveness thing. Maybe you feel lost and confused about your life. You're wanting to get more vision and purpose. Strongest will help you get clarity and create that action. We we talk about codependency and boundaries and big T and little t trauma and grief and taking back control of your story. It's about finding your voice and feeling secure in who you are and just learning the tools to be the healthiest and most authentic version of you. It's June 15th and 16th, again, here in Carlsbad, which is in the San Diego area. We have a VIP dinner at my house the first night of the workshop. We're just a few minutes away from the beach. Come on, isn't it time for you to take that next step? Don't just dabble or hope things will change in your life. Let's dive into our personal development and growth. and Let's do the work and, and bring a friend with you. Spend a couple extra days in beautiful San Diego. Have some fun too. So all the info is at my website at mikefoster.tv slash workshop. That's mikefoster.tv slash workshop. You just go to my website at mikefoster.tv. We do have limited space, so reserve your spot today. 
in September. The death of Pastor Jared Wilson made national headlines. Jared was a pastor, husband, father of two young boys, and an advocate for mental health, who tragically lost his own battle to depression through suicide. Jared was my friend and someone who I miss very, very much. He was gifted, loving, and someone who impacted thousands of lives through his openness and authenticity about his own struggles. And so in this episode, I sit down with Julie Wilson, Jared's widow, and we talk about how she's managing all the dynamics of this massive, massive loss. Julie holds nothing back on the realities that she's facing right now and what it's like to lose someone you deeply love and how she continues to advocate for talking about mental health through her organization, anthemofhope.org. And now this episode of Fun Therapy with my friend, Julie Wilson. Yeah, I think the biggest question that I have on replay in my head is just honestly, am I good enough? Am I capable of living this life? Can I show up every day and do the things that I need to do? You know, raise my kids. Am I able to um, get up even in the beginning? Honestly, can I get up and get ready this morning? Can I get my kids dressed? Can I get them ready for school? Um, Do I have the strength to take another step, to take another breath, to continue on. And that's really what grief and tragedy does to you in the very beginning, especially. I mean, it just kind of cripples you and uh, the enemy really likes to keep us stuck. That's what I'm learning about him is he he has no power over where we're headed, but he does know that he can hold us in the past really easily. And he tries to do that. And with me, it's, it's questions like, could you have done something different? Could you have been better? Or could you have been more patient? And then it goes from that to, well, today you're not enough either. I mean, you weren't enough then. You're not going to be enough today. You can't take care of your kids. They deserve better. You can't You can't do your job. You don't have the mind power to do that. It's just constant questioning myself. And honestly, my self, mm-hmm. self-esteem has never been worse. I mean, as soon as this happened, it was like I instantly felt um unable to do anything. Like I had no ability to even show up and that had never really been the way I am. I've always been pretty confident in who God made me to be. And I've always felt confident with my calling. And since that has occurred, I think it's just been more questioning and having to really surrender over all of those questions that come, come through my mind every day and really taking every thought captive and kind of putting my face to work and using it instead of just having head knowledge. And so I think for me, when those questions come in, the only thing I can do with them is surrender them over. That's the only choice I have. I could either live in it and let it become my reality, which I know is not the truth. That's the funny thing about thoughts too. Like they can come to your mind and you can know they're not true. You can know that you're worthy. You can know that you have a purpose, but you can still believe it, isn't it? It's just like the craziest Mm. thing to me, how you can can almost be at war with your own thoughts. What you know in your heart and your head don't always match up. And I feel like that's kind of where I've been for the last several months is just knowing who I am, knowing I'm a child of God, knowing that I have a purpose and that he has a plan for me and that I can do all things, you know, in and through him. But then also having these doubts of why even try? Like no one, no one 
cares what you have to say. Like you, you're not even going to say the things the right way or who are you to help someone else through this? You don't know what you're talking about. And so it's just constant surrender. So yeah, lots of questions. <laughs> I think I'll have questions for the rest of my life, not only about why or how this happened, but how to move forward and how to continue making the best out of a really you know, tragic situation. It feels like when you're in the midst of just the deep, deep work of grief, it, everything feels so destabilized, right? Even the most secure thing, like who you are, like securing your identity, securing who you are, and then, and then the death of Jared just can shake that foundation in such a, a real way. And it does it. It inserts all these questions about not only what happened, but who you are, mm-hmm. what the future looks like, all the, everything seems to have a question mark over it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, for the last seven years being married, you kind of plan things together. And although you don't have control over the future, you kind of have an idea of where you're going, you know, what you want to mm-hmm. do. We had goals together. We, we had our plans, things that we wanted to accomplish together. And in an instant, I kind of had to rethink those and um, look at what actually fits my life now, what makes sense for me. And, you know, I didn't really, I, I don't know this version of me. I've never met her. So this is a new learning experience for me and figuring out how to be a 27 year old mom of two who's now a widow. And that's not something you ever think about. You know, you don't, you don't get married and think about um, as you're picking out your wedding dress, you don't think about picking out what you're going to wear to your spouse's funeral just seven years later. It doesn't cross your mind. And so I found myself walking into all these situations that I never really saw myself in. And I'm learning how to be present in them and how to show up for those things. And I'm learning the only way to do that is really just to put one foot in front of the other and to continue showing up. And that's the hard part. I mean, the hardest thing in general with grief is just to continue to try and to continue to make efforts for growth. And um, it's just a lot of discipline, really. It's doing things you don't want to do because you know it's going to affect your future. So right now I'm just in a season of showing up and I don't even know like what I'm showing up for half the time. I'm just doing it and being present and making sure that I'm taking steps to better not only my future, but the future of my kids, even though I have no clue what that's going to look like. You know, I have, Mm. as of right now, I have a few goals, obviously, and some dreams that God has put in my heart, but there's a lot of unknowns. And um, I think that's what happens, especially with a sudden death like this. It, it just kind of, it hits you in a different way because not only is your future unknown, you're kind of stuck with a lot of questions about your past and you start looking into, um, were there warning signs? Was there anything I could have changed? Is there anything that could have been done differently? And so not only do I have so many questions about where I'm headed, I'm still trying to reconcile the past. And so mm. um, I think just learning how to balance all of that and still be present in the daily moments right in front of you. It's a lot. And I think that so many people deal with that right after someone passes because everyone else seems to just kind of go on with their lives and they still have their purpose and their plans and you know their norm. And everything about your life has been flipped upside down. So you're trying to just navigate it and still be the friend that you're supposed to be, the mom that you're supposed to be, the the um, daughter you're supposed to be, whatever whatever hats you wear, you feel like you have to wear them all and still show up. But it's it's hard and it's a lot to balance. And um, it's just kind of one of those things where you have to come to terms with being okay with not knowing everything. And that's really hard for someone like me. I'm a planner <laughs> and I kind of like to know what's going to come next. 
and I'm in a season of my life where nothing is planned. Everything's kind of up in the air as of right now. And I'm learning to sit in that and not be afraid of it. And for a long time, I was afraid of that. And I'm learning that it's okay to sit in questioning and that you don't have to rush the process and that you don't have to know all things right now. Because if if I did, I couldn't handle it all anyway. And so I'm kind of learning just to let go of the expectations I put on myself for so long to have everything under control and to know that like you can live in the midst of unknowns and still have order in your life. It doesn't have to be like constant chaos. And um, at the same time, it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just kind of learning to live in the imperfection, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, um, Julie. For you, the, the days that feel the heaviest or the days that feel most confusing um, or maybe just kind of looking over the, the past few months or maybe even in the week of, of Jared's death, like what describe to me what that felt like and what that looked like for you. What was a hard, what's a hard day look like? Yeah. I mean, my mind specifically goes back to the very beginning. Um, I instantly, our whole world changed. You know, we moved into a new place instantly. We were with family. My boys uh, went to school full time out of nowhere. They had been home with me for four years. I stayed at home. We were constantly together. And so it was just a bunch of change at once. And I just remember everything feeling heavy. I mean, I, I felt like getting out of bed in the morning was a successful thing. Like, wow, I got up and I made my bed and I got dressed today. And then some days it was really hard. I mean, just the the demands of, you know, making school lunch for your kids when you feel like you haven't been able to breathe for the last few weeks and you're trying to show up and be what you've always been. And that's kind of what's expected. You know, I tell people all the time, I, I was no longer a wife on September 10th, that that part of my life ended, but I was still a mom. And so I still had to wake up and show up and take care of these kids and more so than ever. I mean, I had to do double the work. I instantly was thrown into a new role that was really hard in the midst of the deepest, darkest time of my life. And so it was just honestly learning to breathe and learning to not have expectations on myself that weren't possible. I, I, I had to understand instantly, which was really hard for me, that I needed help and that I needed people to be around me and to support me and that I wasn't a bad mom if I couldn't be present with my kids that day and if I needed to call someone else to take them out so they could go to the park or to play so I could just process. And so it was a big identity shift for me because I'm the kind of person who holds stuff together pretty well. And I kind of held our family together for a long time. So when my role changed to where I felt like I couldn't even make my kids lunch, where that task felt so daunting that I I literally found myself crying over a sandwich. I mean, things like that. When you go from being such a strong, pretty, you know, independent, hold everything together, we've got this, we can do anything, to feeling like you can barely, you know, get ready in the morning, that's a big identity shift. I love how Julie shares about this is the season of showing up with all the questions, all the unknowns. And for her, the win each day is just learning to breathe again. And perhaps you know what that feels like. 
maybe that's where you're at today too. Or you remember the season where you could barely breathe and barely pull it together and barely get out of bed. And when life shakes you to the core, when the questions of your identity and who you are, and you wonder if you have what it takes to get through this, remind yourself that this is just the season of showing up. And in showing up, you win the day and you move one step closer to your healing. It's just been a season of doing really hard things, like just choosing to do what I know I need to do, regardless of how I feel. And so every morning when I get up, I kind of tell myself, do it until you feel like doing it, and then do it some more. <laughs> like you, mm. have to, you, you can't yes. wait for the feeling to come. I get up every morning. I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. when my boys get up. Thank you. Like I would rather sleep in. <laughs> I would like to be in bed till at least 6, 6.30 and have my coffee and take things easy. But that's just not the season of life I'm in. You know, kids, kids don't care that you're having a bad day. And that's not because they're bad. It's because they're kids and they just want their mm. mom. And so I have learned to just do it until I feel it. And if that feeling never comes, you still do it and you do it with joy and you ask God to be your strength. And I can tell you that I've never regretted showing up. I haven't regretted um, doing the hard stuff. I've only regretted not doing it. And so the days that I don't show up or I do break the commitment or I do decide like, you know what? Um, no, I don't, I don't want to be patient with my kids today. I have every right to not be on those days. That's when the heaviness comes is when I kind of forfeit who I am for a feeling. And that's not to say that feelings are always wrong. I think it's good to sit in your grief. I think it's good to, to feel all the emotions. And, you know, with suicide, there's so many things that come along. You have moments where you miss somebody and you miss them so bad. It's this deep heart heartache that you can't even explain. And then there's anger sometimes, which is hard to reconcile to be angry with someone that you love so much. But there is that anger because regardless of how it happens, um, I think with suicide, there's always a feeling of abandonment. Even if you know that it wasn't that person, like it wasn't them in their right mind. It wasn't their intention. This was not sought out. Like even with that, you have these moments where you feel like abandoned. And so Um, I think it's good to sit in that and to feel those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think you have to, you have to process grief in every aspect, whether that's the joyful moments where you think back on everything that was great and beautiful. And then the hard moments when you look at what wasn't so great and what could have been different and things that you could have maybe said differently, you know, like, I think you have to just allow yourself to, to be open to all of that in order to really heal. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. And that's not easy. I mean, it would be much easier to just say, no, I don't want to feel the anger. I don't want to feel the happiness. I don't want to feel the sadness. So I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to try to work through it. But I've learned that the only way to get through it is to get through it. You have to walk through it. You have to allow yourself to be okay with not being okay sometimes. Tell me what what the biggest misconception you think people have about your journey right now, or maybe even Jared and the whole, whole situation. What, what is the thing that maybe people have said to you or that you've heard that you're like, that just, just hits you in a, in a, in a really 
um, bad way. Yeah, I would think the, the main thing is obviously Jared was a pastor and he was very public. I mean, he was a public figure for sure. So he had a lot of eyes on him and he led the charge for mental health for a long time, mental health in the church. And I think because of that, people put unrealistic expectations on him. They kind of held him to a higher standard than other people. It's like, well, as a pastor, he shouldn't have been dealing with this. As a pastor, this certainly isn't the way he should have passed, you know, and and they kind of give more grace to people who aren't in ministry, which is so heartbreaking to me because pastors are just like us. I mean, they have feelings, they have struggles. You look all throughout the Bible. I mean, gosh, David was called a man after God's own heart. But if you read through Psalms, he's constantly crying out to God, begging him to help him continue on. Like there's so many times in the Psalms where he's saying like, God, I cannot continue to do this. I am so despaired. My, my heart is breaking. My enemies pursue me on every side. If you don't show up, I can't keep doing this. And there's so many people throughout scripture who are like that. And these are people we call mighty men of God. But for some reason in today's world and in our culture, in our church culture, we kind of put these these pastors on pedestals and give them unrealistic expectations. And that's been kind of the main negative side since Jared has passed that I've received is just, well, you know, as a pastor, he obviously was just a false teacher. He, you know, he didn't really believe because if he did, he would have never done this. And I think it's just people, honestly, who just aren't educated in mental health. And that gets hard sometimes. And I have to like remind myself that these are just people who aren't they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. And so they're just coming at it from their truth and their understanding. And it's just not scriptural. I mean, people have always struggled and Jared had struggled with mental health issues since he was 18. And he was so open about it. That was the beautiful part about him and the way he lived his life is that he wanted other people in the church to know that it's okay to not be okay, but that God has so much more for them than to sit in that and that he wanted them to find their God-given purpose and, and passion. And he spent his whole life working towards that. So since then, I guess the thing that frustrates me the most is anyone questioning his salvation, questioning my salvation for supporting him. Um, that gets really hard because this is a guy, and I know, Mike, you knew him, so you you can attest to this too, who spent his entire life making other people feel known and seen and loved and valued. And I mean, until his very last day, he was working on Anthem of Hope, trying to trying to reach people and trying to tell people like, hey, depression and anxiety don't get the last word. Like that we're not gonna let it. We're gonna work at this together. And um that last day actually one of the last things we talked about before he passed is he was showing me some graphics he had made for Anthem of Hope and he said, babe, I have to tell you this this tagline that I just came up with. I think it's so sick. Like, you have to hear this. And he showed it to me, and it just said, suicide is 100% preventable. And he was like, babe, have you ever thought about that? Like, if we're bringing awareness to the church, if we're telling people about it, this is a preventable thing. Like, we can we can change the the statistics here. We can we can start loving on people and reaching out and making resources and getting them connected. And he was just someone whose heart was on fire for not only God, but for people. He wanted people to be set free from how they were feeling. And even if they weren't ever set free from that, because he said it all the time, like Jesus has the power to heal us. Does that mean he always will? No, but he will give us the strength to walk through it. And so his whole life goal was like, hey, we're going to walk through this with them. We're going to take care of people and love on people and let them know they're not alone and they're struggling. So for me, it's so hard to know his heart and to see the way he spent his days and to just know how much he genuinely loved people to then have to, you know, 
have the conversations with people who want to tell me that you know he, ne- he never knew the Lord or that his life was just a joke and it was a waste and how selfish he was and how he didn't care about me or the boys and that could just not be any further from the truth. I say it all the time, I'm living his worst nightmare for me. This is not what he would want for the boys or for me. I know that wholeheartedly. Oh, my dear friends, listen to Julie's words. We need more compassion for each other. We need to learn the lessons of loving each other well, especially when tragedy strikes. There's so many things we do not understand, especially about mental health and depression and suicide. And so the posture that I would invite all of us into would be a posture of love, of listening. You see, the point of our faith and spirituality is not to be right or judging, but to be moved with empathy and compassion for anyone who is hurting. Friends, let us make the choice to never add to someone's pain, but let us be lighthouses of hope in the midst of unimaginable grief and heartbreak. In terms of talking with your boys over the past months and maybe even the in the the weeks right after Jared's death, how have you talked to them and how have you what have you said to them? I mean, I know they're young, and but I'm, you know, obviously completely aware of of the change um, in in their family. What what have those conversations look like with the boys? Yeah, well, for our specific situation, it was um, just instant questions, and it come. It's because Jared was such an incredible dad. He was so involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that night. He got them to bed that night, read to them, bedtime was his thing. And then he got up with them in the morning so that I could sleep in. And so there's so many things that instantly were different. They woke up that next morning with me reading them a story, with me getting them ready for the day. And typically that's not how it worked. And so I was instantly thrown into a bunch of questions with them. Um, First of all, asking, when is he going to come back? How long is he going to be gone? And that, at first, it kind of seemed normal to them, I think, just because he did travel for work. And so they just thought, okay, dad's on a trip, he'll be back, you know, but as days become weeks and weeks become months, their questions got deeper. And obviously, I talked to them about the reality of, well, daddy's in heaven now. And um, the only way I could really make that make sense in their mind is that they have a grandfather who passed a few years ago, and they knew Papa's in heaven. And we had always talked about Papa watching over them. And Papa loved them so much. And now I, I started off by telling him, you know, daddy's with Papa now. And now he's watching over you and they love you so much. And it kind of started off really simple like that. But it's crazy how um, my kids are four and three, by the way, how a four-year-old can wrap their mind around so many things. Um, my oldest Finch will come up to me and say things like, well, mom, what do you think dad's seeing in heaven? Uh, it's perfect up there, right? Like, is daddy fishing? Is daddy happy? Does daddy see us? He has so many questions about eternity and And so we started talking about it. And honestly, it's kind of crazy how little we talked about the afterlife before all of this happened. I never brought it up. I mean, it's not really something you think about talking to your two and three year old about. And, you know, at the time, I never thought 
I, I told them about heaven, you know, Papa's in heaven, but we had never really talked about what that looks like or what that means or how you get there. And so um, I just started honestly just sharing the gospel with my four-year-old and I didn't know how else to do it except to say, well, you know how daddy loved Jesus so much. He made the decision to follow him and now he's with him forever and we all get to do that. And so um, crazy in a crazy way that made sense to a four-year-old. And he was like, okay, cool. He reconciled that. Like, all right. Yeah. Dad taught about him here because he knew dad, his dad was a preacher, but now dad's with him. Okay. It like almost mm-hmm. gave him peace, which was really cool. But now, I mean, there's so many other questions too, because there's sweet moments like that, that is almost like an ointment to your soul where you're just like, thank you, Lord, that they, they have peace with this and that they know he's in a good place. And then there's moments where they're sad. I mean, I remember it was probably back in November or so. So like two months after Jared passed, I was driving one morning on the way to church and the boys were in the back of the car and Finch goes, Oh, look, mom, you have two boys, me and brother. I'm like, yeah, I do. And he goes, but you don't have, you don't have like anyone you're married to though. And I was like, yeah, cause daddy's, you know, daddy's in heaven now looking over us. He was like, does it ever get lonely? And this is my four-year-old. And so he noticed the change, noticed that, you know, Hey, there used to be two of you up in the front seat. There used to be someone else doing this life with you. And he was checking in on me. Like, do you ever miss having a grown up to talk to? And it's just so interesting how much they catch on to and how they notice that change. And, you know, sometimes you might think like, oh, they don't see it. They don't, they don't recognize it because we are building a stable, normal life, but they definitely realize his absence and they notice it and they talk about it. And that can be hard sometimes. Cause honestly, there's sometimes I don't want to talk about it. I can't tell you how many times it's eight in the morning and I'm on the way to school and they'll say that dreaded phrase of, I just really miss my dad. And that just breaks my heart in a million pieces. And I, I have to, have to just stop what I'm doing and tell them, you know, I miss them too. And I'm so sorry that you have to feel this. I'm so sorry. I want to, I want to ask you a question maybe our final question. I mean, if Jared were here with us um, on this conversation, what is the, what is the one thing that you would want him to know? Yeah. Um, first of all, that I forgive him, that I'm not, I'm not mad at him. Honestly, if he walked in the door, I would just like, if he could literally walk in this door right now, I would just hold him and I'd cry happy tears. And I would just want him to know that it's okay. Um, because I guess I can't reconcile the fact that he, he's good now. So he doesn't have feelings where he, he's not worried about what's going on here, right? He's in the presence of the Lord and he's good. But for me, being Earthside still, there's that side of me that just wants that embrace for me to tell him it's okay. More information on Julie and to learn more about the issues of mental health and suicide and depression. Friends, I, I would love for you to visit anthemofhope.org. Anthem of Hope. This is the work that Julie and Jared were doing together, and the work lives on. They are amplifying hope for those battling brokenness and depression and anxiety, those who struggle with self-harm and addiction and have been impacted by suicide or thinking about taking their life. This is such an important part of Jared's legacy that Julie is faithfully carrying on because her heart is to help all those who suffer right now, even though she is in the midst of her own grief. Anthem of Hope 
anthemofhope.org, anthemofhope.org. I also want to give the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number for you or for anyone who might need it, 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. You can also connect with Julie via Instagram. Her Instagram handle is it's Julie Wilson, I-T-S, J-U-L-I, Wilson, W-I. L-S-O-N. Follow her, encourage her. Let's be a supportive community to Julie. Also, why don't you take a moment right now and screenshot your device, whatever device you're listening on, and share this important conversation about mental health and suicide and grief. It's important that we talk about this and you play a role in that. So share this episode with your friends and followers. Make sure to tag Julie in your post and and also myself at Mike Foster 2000. Thank you in advance for doing that. And if you're new to fun therapy and just listening for the first time, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and welcome to this beautiful, raw and honest community. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to take a listen to a few others while you're here. Also wanna say thank you to Sleeping At Last for the beautiful music. And don't forget about the strongest workshop coming up make sure to visit my website at mikefoster.tv for more information and to reserve your spot. And remember, my friends, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers and honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you again next time on the Fun Therapy Podcast.